I'm Mike. I'm Austin. We are the Test Drivers. And we put tech through its paces. And today, you guessed it, we're keeping that flippy boy train going. Surface Duo time. Oh yeah. But before we get to all of that, there's a bunch of like little topics. I actually, I think we both really liked this, right? On our last episode, yeah. we did a bunch of little topics up front. Things that we're, mainly what I kind of liked about it is it was some new stuff, but also putting things on our radar that will get the full test driver treatment down the line. Yes. And I liked going through some of that stuff. So I, I had a few other things to do today with you. But the first thing I think we should follow up on is because we spoke a lot about Epic and Apple last time, right? Because it was the real story of the moment and, and mm-hmm. we hadn't got to talk about it. But effectively at this point, uh, the, the situation is, I think, mostly where we expected it to be. So yeah, they had a day in court, basically, uh, where Epic got a restraining order on Apple to stop them from pulling their developer license for the Unreal Engine. Which would have been catastrophic. It would have been real bad. And that isn't permanent. It is a temporary restraining order. And I think sometime later on in September, they're going back to court again to finalize that one way or another. So that situation is not over. Like People are like, oh, it's done. No, it's done for now. It is incredibly mm-hmm. likely that the judge will give epic a permanent restraining order um but basically it gives the idea is it gives both companies time to go away and provide an actual case that they will present because it was very early right like uh epic filed it and then a few days later they're in court arguing it um Mm -hmm. but the way that the judge kind of ruled on that case it seemed very much like uh she was basically saying right like Epic, you caused this yourself. So the Fortnite-based account is like, well, you you played fire with that one. And yeah. then the second part, which I completely agree with, is like she said to Apple, you are being retaliatory. Like you're you're doing this to retaliate, and your retaliation will affect companies that have absolutely nothing to do with this mess. So yeah, it seemed a very level-headed uh, uh, response, honestly. But we'll see what happens. When you think about it. Obviously, Fortnite being banned, I mean, that is 100% exactly what Epic had planned, right? I mean, it's easy to say, like, Apple's the bad guy in this situation. And I don't want to, like, relitigate the whole thing like it's mm-hmm. going on right now. But, I mean, you can't be surprised. Like, they knew that they were going to get banned. They had that video all prepped. But for Apple to go so far as to, like, basically remove one of the most popular game engines, Unreal, from, like, all of their platforms seems like... I mean, I get, like, technically by, like, their actual rules, like, because you're the developer, we're going to nuke all of your stuff. But, like, that was that was always really hard for me to swallow. Especially because they are separate developer accounts, right? Like, yeah. if it was one developer account, I could see how you could argue that, like, oh, well, right? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, eh, well, you know, what are you going to do? It's their fault kind of thing, right? But because it was two separate developer accounts, Apple had to go out of their way to get rid of the other one as well. So they just search like at Epic email address, delete. Yeah, just <laughs> but there's a couple of funny things, right? Now that the developer account is gone, because we didn't know what would happen, right? Would the game still run? Would you still be able to download it? All that kind of stuff. So if you have the game installed, if you have Fortnite already installed on an iOS device, it will still run. You can still play the game. Because Apple 
because like Epic is not a current developer with Apple, you can't do in-app purchase. So funnily, mm-hmm. every purchase that is going through the iOS app is going direct through Epic now, which is just this <laughs> funny like coincidence, like in consequence of it all. The master plan. But you can't re-download it. Now, this is interesting on two fronts. One, if you want to download it and you haven't got it, you can't get it. And, and two, if you buy a new device, no Fortnite for you. No Fortnite for you. So if people get new iPhones at the end of this year, or like in a few weeks' time maybe, they won't be able to re-download Fortnite. And that that is when we could see a new wrinkle in this whole case open up. Because it's been quiet all week, which has not been the case so since this whole thing started. There's been no news on it since the uh, the, the court case. So... I guess now we'll just, it's just waiting to see what the next steps will be, basically. It's fine. We'll just all, all play PUBG unless you're in uh, India. Did you so. see? Oh, yeah. Cause yeah, India just pulled PUBG, right? Along with a bunch of apps from Chinese uh, development firms, right? Because yeah. it's Tencent. Is it Tencent for PUBG? Yes. Yeah. And did you see uh, the day that Apple pulled Fortnite? They put up a. Uh, an ad kind of thing like a, in the in the app store like hey PUBG's got an update coming <laughs> what a wonderful battle royale game available for free on ios devices i know i wonder <laughs> how long until they break the rules too i wonder <laughs> everyone wants that money man well, blood's in the water blood is in the water on this one but never mind so it is now september which means that uh, throughout all of September, Relay FM, uh, the podcast network that the test drivers is a part of, is raising money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital because September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Childhood cancer remains the leading cause of death by disease for children under the age of 15. Children undergoing treatment for cancer and other life-threatening diseases often need transfusions, physical and cognitive therapy, and so much more. And the bills can really, really add up. But any child that is treated at St. Jude pays nothing. Their family does not get a bill for a thing. Everything is taken care of while these children are undergoing this treatment. Your gift can help St. Jude provide the best care and treatment for patients. Go to stjude.org slash relay today to help save St. Jude kids. Again, that is stjude.org slash relay to donate now. But also it's worth noting that you know whilst it is an incredible hospital, St. Jude's is a research hospital. And the work that they do is published for free. So other institutions around the world will be able to learn from the incredible research that they put out. Um, And in the 50 years that St. Jude has been around, the childhood cancer survival rate has gone from 20% to 80%. And their mission is to not stop until no child dies from cancer. So go to stjude.org slash relay, give whatever you can. We're going to be talking about this again on our next episode. Uh, and don't forget the uh, podcast-a-thon. It's going to be from 2 to 8 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash RelayFM on September the 18th. We're doing a six-hour event for uh, to benefit St. Jude, which we're really excited about. So, I'm like, I've been very, like, pretty much every day watching the numbers come in. So, mm-hmm. it's already over $65,000, which yep. is kind of incredible. And that's, yep. what, almost a full month left? Yeah, we're like a couple of days in. So we started a little bit earlier, right? Uh, because we wanted to make sure that we, we could get the word out there beforehand. But yeah, mm-hmm. our goal is $315,000. And we're already at $65,000 raised as of the recording right now, which is really, really unbelievable. 
Well, so I actually have a little bit of a surprise for you on this. Uh-uh. So we recently did a video, um, which is probably going to be live by the time that this podcast is live, where Ken challenged me to do a speed gaming PC build. So the entire concept is, is that I have every five minutes, I have another challenge. So mm-hmm. whether it's like I have to do it blindfolded with my hands behind my back, I had to eat this incredibly spicy chip, <laughs> which no lie. I threw up three times after eating that chip. Oh, it was God. awful. I can't wait to but... this video now. It's <laughs> great. But for every 15 minutes that it took me, I committed to donating $1,000 to St. Jude. So at the risk of spoiling it, I am actually donating, as we speak right now, $4,100 to St. Jude. Dude. Because I very, very, uh, I didn't do a good job with the, with the challenge, but it's okay. I did it for the kids. You are the best. Thank you so much, man. That's amazing. I of really course, appreciate man. that, Austin. That's so kind. Thank you. No problem. I'm literally pressing the button right now. So be like Austin. Go donate money. Stjude.org <laughs> slash relay. You don't have to eat spicy chips. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, be like Austin. Just with the money side. Don't eat the horribly spicy chip and throw up. That, that part wasn't good. That part wasn't good. <laughs> All right. I need you to tell me what is going on at NVIDIA. <laughs> because I can, I've been able to like read some articles. I've watched a couple of videos. I have a base idea of this, but like there seems to be some real minutia going on with the new NVIDIA graphics cards that I want to break down for the test drivers audience. Yes. Okay. So we have three new Ampere-based RTX 30 series graphics cards. So I, I'm actually surprised. I'm legitimately surprised. This is legitimately the biggest jump in like NVIDIA GPUs in a decade or more. Now, when they said that on their little uh, press event, the, the, the launch event, which to be fair, actually, I think did, they did a really good job of kind of coming a little closer to something that wasn't super scripted. It was all in Jensen's Kitchen. It was, it was, it was well done. But when they, I hear that, oh, biggest generation, blah, 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 I just, my eyes glaze over. I'm so used to hearing like, this is the most incredible improvement. It's like uh, marketing speak 101, right? In technology yep. products generational leap in performance technology improvement we've improved every part of this in every way (laughs) right like all that nonsense but the thing is they actually really did it so to start out with we have the rtx 3070 right so this is like the upper middle tier i would say because usually right now there's like a 2080 ti then a 2080 then the 2070 right so this is like their like third tier down this is a 500 graphics card but it is faster than the current $1,200 top of the range or almost top of the range RTX 2080 Ti. So if you just bought a $1,200 graphics card, uh, good luck because now it's worse than a $500 graphics card. So, so there's some Fs in the chat for the, uh, the 2080 Ti owners. What have they done here? So like just I want to underscore that, right? So the most expensive graphics card that was available mm-hmm. like is available like now right or like yes. the most expensive class which is the 2080 ti yep they have a chip they have a card sorry that is now in the mid tier mm-hmm. that is more powerful than it or the lowest one no no it is it is more powerful so essentially what you're getting with the 3070 and there will be more cards right so this is yeah. just the first sort of batch there will be like i'm sure a 3060 and some lower end cards beyond that but at $500, you were getting a massive, massive leap in performance. So this is something that we don't see that often. In fact, the last generation, which was two years ago, the, yeah. tw- the tw- 20 series cards, 
they brought in RTX, which was, you know, ray tracing, and they had some major advantages there. But the actual performance of the cards wasn't a huge step forward, right? I mean, you'd be seeing, you know, 20, 30% better, but nothing like 200%, and certainly nothing like a upper mid-tier, like the third tier down card being better than the pretty much max tier over double the price of variant, right? Like, that's just something that we haven't seen in a long time. So they've done a few things here. So it's on a new process. They've done a lot of work to optimize, not only to make sure that the the ray tracing side of the house is seeing improvements, but ultimately they've just built big, powerful graphics cards, right? Like they've really gone all in and I'm incredibly impressed with that. And that's the 3070, right? That's the third from top end. So at $700, we have the RTX 3080, which claims to be twice as fast as the current 2080. Now, I say that with a massive grain of salt because these are all very vague, squishy numbers that NVIDIA are claiming. But if you're able to get at $700 something which is even close to twice as powerful as the current top dog for $500 less, I mean, that's incredible. Like, that's such a huge, huge leap. I can't understand, like, how they've managed to do it. So they just basically have double the GPU in a very, very vague sense of the word. So obviously there are improvements. So it's on a new eight nanometer Samsung yeah. process. So right. obviously that's, that's going the to key, just... right? It's it's mm. it's it's custom too, right? Which I guess is always is. helpful. Rather than because they were with TSMC before for yes. this, right? Yes. And working directly with Samsung to create a new process. Because I've not heard eight nanometer referenced before. Okay, so the thing with when you hear about like 8 nanometer, 10, 12, 14, you can't really compare these numbers against each other because honestly, you look at a, a chip or a, a process like you know Samsung 8 nanometer to be right. example, for an example, right? That's based on, I believe, the 10 nanometer process, but like there are elements of that which are way smaller and way larger. When you mm. see like 10 or 8 or 7 or whatever, it's more of a marketing thing because it's not really completely representative like it was in the old days of exactly what mm. you're getting. Okay. But regardless, it is a big step forward. It was more just like, I feel like I hear 10 and 7 referenced a yep. lot, but I, I think it was the first time that I could recall hearing someone talk about an 8 nanometer process. It's not as popular, but uh, yeah, right. so I mean, it's a similar process to actually the chip that I believe is inside the Pixel 4a. I think that is also <laughs> fabbed on. So you I heard believe it here so. first. The <laughs> Pixel 4a, <laughs> there's just a bunch of those in every NVIDIA <laughs> GPU. I think. Yeah, by, by that same logic, everything TSMC, it's all, it's all seven. But so <laughs> there are huge jumps, right? So they're getting tons more performance out of it by literally taking advantage of tons and tons of CUDA cores, right? I mean, that's really, there's obviously more to it than that. They've optimized a lot of things. They've improved some things. But like at its core, I mean, these things just have a lot more raw horsepower. But then like there is the top dog RTX 3090, which at $1,500 is obscenely expensive, right? $1,500 is crazy. It's essentially a replacement for the 2080 Ti. Yeah, I need you to help me con contextualize this because- yeah. My only experience with buying a PC graphics card was during one of the Bitcoin booms. Ooh, okay. So I had to spend a lot of money to get my graphics card. So yep. like I need so like fifteen hundred dollars is is a Crazy. is too much, right? Okay. It will so I mean it's doubled over double the price of the thirty eighty. It's yep. not, I will say for sure. It will not be double the performance. Okay. But if you want the top end crazy card, so 
All right, this thing, if you look at, so they have built this ridiculous like stock cooler. It has like push pull. It's like the airflow is ridiculous. It is thick. Like it is absolutely massive. The cards are great looking compared to what they're replacing too, I think. They are, they are. But then you look at stuff like 24 gigs of G6X memory, which is crazy fast. Mm -hmm. And they claim that this is the world's first quote unquote gaming 8K GPU. So they are able to get, according to them, and I can believe it based on just, just looking at the specs, games playable at 8K 60 frames per second with this graphics card, which is just stupid. I think it's good to actually to have that feature for this card because it's very much clearly signaling to you who wants this and who should have this. Like, yeah. that's clearly the main feature of this GPU and it's the reason that they're charging the money that they're charging for it, right? But like... Yeah. If you're not gaming on an 8K monitor, and who is, don't buy this, right? <laughs> well, sort of. I mean, you can still see advantages in other areas. So instead of 8K 60, you may want to run 4K 120 or 144, and it will likely be completely capable of something right, like that. Right, but surely the 3080 can yes. do a good enough job considering it's two <laughs> times faster than the current fastest chip. Like, if you're yes. buying one of these today, <laughs> no game can push the 3090, surely. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to be really excited to get my hands on it. So it's actually going to be out in a couple weeks or so based on when the podcast comes out. That's a surprise to me, too, that it's, pretty it's quick. so soon. Yeah, yeah. so 3080 and 3090 are both coming out pretty shortly. I believe the 3070 is just like TBD October. Um, I will say, based on what I'm hearing, it is going to be an absolute like free-for-all trying to get your hands on these cards. Yep. So I don't even know if there's a pre-order. I think it's just going to be like, you know, floodgates are open, try to go fill your Micro Center card tomorrow. But... These cards are a huge step forward. You know, actually saying about like the timing, the timing's a surprise. It's a surprise if you think about this announcement in a vacuum. It's not surprising if you look at this whole picture together, right? Incredible mm -hmm. leaps in performance for very good prices considering what you're getting right now. The reason you do all of those things is because you are concerned about the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. Right, And there are brand new AMD GPUs, and specifically a very high-end AMD GPU, which is heavily rumored to be coming out in the next few weeks, maybe a month or so. So there's a lot of competition here. AMD have a bit more of an upwards battle, I would assume, though. <laughs> NVIDIA are the, like, you know, I know that AMD have been doing incredible things, but my expectation, my assumption would be that even if AMD produced something that was as powerful or faster than these, I think people would maybe be more likely to stick with NVIDIA for a bit. Yeah. Okay. So it's going to be very interesting. I think if you were building a high-end game PC right now, you have the ability to get something which is potentially 2x or faster than anything you can build right. as of right now. That is so just cool. not a leap we see very often. So cool. And plus you have things like uh, HDMI 2.1, which is also going to be on that PS5 and Series X, which means that with one HDMI cable, you actually can run a full 8K TV right off of that GPU. There's also a lot of other stuff, so it's going to be much better for streaming so that they have a much beefier encoding engine. They mm. also have things like hardware that's built in to help decompress data from PCI SSDs. So actually very similar to the consoles. You know, they were talking about when you have like, you know, gigabytes and gigabytes per second coming from the, uh, the SSDs and they're being decompressed. They're talking about, you know, you may need 
16 cores just to handle the data coming off the SSD at full speed. A lot of that is now going to be able to be offloaded to the GPU to handle. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff that's very forward-looking, all the ray tracing and whatnot. But really, this is the time where everyone is laying their cards on the table. I mean, these GPUs between AMD and NVIDIA that we're getting right now are going to set the pace for what we're going to see in not only these consoles, but also for the gaming PC space for, I would assume, at least the next one to two years before we get anything that's really going to compete with them. It is a very, very good time to build an incredibly high-end gaming PC right now. And do you think that this is like a, a, a fear on NVIDIA's side at the moment with, with the console stuff or no? I don't think so. They have such supreme confidence in this RTX 30 series launch. I know in speaking with AMD and seeing like kind of what they're talking about, they're really excited about their new high-end GPU. But after seeing what NVIDIA's got, I'm going to be surprised if they're going to be able to be very competitive. I mean, they just got such a huge commanding lead here. I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for them. Obviously, competition is good for everyone. But, I mean, NVIDIA just threw such a huge amount of performance on the table. And especially when you look at that 3090, right? $1,500. They don't need to charge $1,500 for this thing, right? I mean, obviously, it needs to be more expensive. But they, they could have done 1200 or 1000 or whatever. $1,500, like, you know what? This is just the absolute peak top dog max GPU. Like, I mean, that 3080 is going to be fine for everyone, right? Like, it's going to be crushing 4K gaming, high frame rate. I mean, that's just absolutely enough for pretty much anyone unless you're, I don't know, Linus or something. But mm. the fact that they have that 3090 at such a high price just to me exudes such a confidence of just like, you know what? We know that we've just won. We're just going to sit back. And if you really want the top, we're going to charge you for it. But we have everything else on lock as well. I am incredibly impressed with this launch. It seems really exciting. Like, I, it I is might a good consider time. getting one of the, the uh, I might consider the 3070 when that comes out to up just to upgrade in my uh, gaming PC. Like, I have yeah. no real issues with it as it is but for that price it feels like a pretty good update i mean that would be what do you have in your system right now let me find out i'm gonna wheel my chair back and read it to you. <laughs> i have a gtx 1080 oh a 1080 yeah, dude, yeah that 3070 is going to be well over double performance like that's gonna be a huge jump it's not like I, I I never felt like I need it like I always have headroom especially with the types of games that I typically do play on my PC. I never mm -hmm. really feel like I have an issue, but I do like to do game streaming when I do play, and I do have some stuff that I want to do in the future, and so maybe maybe that would be a pretty good upgrade, and I would feel like I would probably get quite a long a long way out of that. So. I mean, it's hard to recommend this stuff before getting your hands and testing and benchmarking stuff, but if NVIDIA are even remotely being truthful here, they have a real winner on their hands, yep. and I am... It seems like a very much no-brainer upgrade for a lot of people if you have anything remotely high-end. And keep in mind, this stuff is going to trickle down, right? They always start with their high-end chips, and then they start bringing in the mid-range mm -hmm. mid and the low-end. And, I mean, if you see these kind of performance gains on the high-end, just imagine, you know, the, the, the 3060 being, like, massively powerful and everything like that. So I think it's going to be a very good time over the next few months to be building and upgrading gaming PCs. You also uh, mentioned to me that there was an announcement about ARM chips for Windows today, right? <laughs> Dude, everything's been happening right now. So Is Intel just had the thing talking about their 11th gen chips. And then right after that, Qualcomm announces their 8CX Gen 2. So if you're familiar with what Qualcomm has been doing on the Windows side, sort of similar to what we get on the upcoming Mac Silicon side, which is going to be very exciting. But on Windows, for actually a few years now, Qualcomm has been making 
specialized versions of essentially their phone chips. So like the Mm -hmm. 800 series, like the 845, 855 series that we would have on Android phones, but actually running inside Windows PCs. So I've actually been using, coincidentally, I've been actually using one of these. I've been using a Lenovo product with the 8CX. It has 5G built in. It is powered entirely by ARM. It has excellent battery life. So I've actually been dailying this for a little bit, and maybe we'll talk about that on a future episode. With the current, the chips that they just announced. The current one. Yeah, okay. no, 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 the, the current, the current one that's version. been out for a, okay. yeah, for a little while. So right. they just announced a Gen 2. At the moment, they're being a little vague about it. So they're saying like, oh, it's like up to 18% more powerful than Intel and 39% more performance and blah, blah, blah. Like Up to 18 is a really weird thing to say. It's, look, what they've said so far <laughs> is so vague. I'm taking it with like the like a spoonful of salt. Huh. But they are talking about the fact that not only, of course, will it support 5G and Wi-Fi 6 and all this kind of stuff and like dual 4K monitors and everything. But the thing is, I'm interested to see because, and again, we'll talk definitely at some point about this. My Windows on ARM experience has been very interesting in some good and some not so good ways. So I'm very curious to see how this next-gen Snapdragon makes a difference because having 5G and good battery life on a Windows laptop, Mike, as you might be able to guess, kind of cool we've been kicking around like in our planning for the show to to do a segment on what it's like to run windows on arm but Mm -hmm. i i think we should keep it for a little bit longer because i would really love to compare whatever apple has yes and we can talk about the two in comparison and we're coming up quick, man. I mean, just like these announcements are just coming nonstop back to back right now. So I feel like every episode for the rest of the next, what, three or four months, we're just going to have so many things to go over. What's it called? Techtember, right? Techtember? Techtember. Techtober? Techvember? We're in Techtember. Yeah, Techtember going into Techtober, going into <laughs> Techtember to remember, I guess. I, I don't know. But every, because it's like, this is always a busy time. Plus, a bunch of stuff is late. So, like, the last quarter of this year, it's going to be bananas. Crazy town. But hey, that's the way I like it. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by SyncUp, a OneDrive podcast. I love finding new podcasts. You clearly love finding new podcasts. It's a great thing to have whether you're commuting, if you're commuting, but also at the moment I've been listening to brand new, loads of brand new shows whilst doing stuff around the house. I think it's a great time to try out new shows and see what see new stuff that I'm into. If you're looking for something else, maybe SyncUp could be the show for you. It takes you behind the scenes of OneDrive so you can learn about how to connect files, share your documents and work from anywhere, which is a great thing to get good at right now and you'll get to hear about the design and development side of things too. Every episode covers a dedicated topic, guest interviews, news and announcements, plus a special topic outside of the technology norm. Just so you have an idea of the type of stuff that you uh, can expect from the show, this is some things that have been featured recently. They're talking about uh, empowering Mac users, which is something that I love to hear about. Changing management and product adoption, customer success, file sharing, personal vaults, and more. It was great to hear about how these types of things can be used on the Mac, which is my platform of choice, uh, as well as how this stuff can be done on Windows as well, because what one of the things that's great about Microsoft today is their products are everywhere. Go and listen to yourself right now. Just search for SyncUp wherever you get your podcasts. That's S-Y-N-C-U-P, or just click the link in the show notes. Go check it out today. Our thanks to SyncUp and Microsoft for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Austin Evans, I need to know so desperately. 
let's yes. review the Surface Duo. I okay. am lusting after this technology product. I need to know. Now, both publicly and privately, you keep mm-hmm. saying to me, I will mm-hmm. order one of these for you and I will send it to I you. I will. But I have been holding off for two reasons. One, I know the hardware is amazing and can see it. And I've seen yes. all the coverage about it. But Microsoft yes. made me nervous by setting the two embargoes. Yes. Okay. So I've been using the Surface Duo for a couple of weeks now. And I've been able, unable to say anything about literally a word about it after I hit the home button. Right? You can talk about the hardware, but you cannot talk about the software, reviews, battery life, all of that kind of stuff. That embargo is up as of right now. So here's the deal. The hardware, of course... Is excellent. There's literally no complaints about the way about the way that it feels, as far as like from an actual ID perspective. So something that kind of surprised me: it's glass, not metal. And if you've seen the unboxings, I'm sure you've seen this. But for me, I was actually a really big surprise. Does not look like it, and also is not what we would have expected because the Surface products are magnesium mostly, right? Yeah, I kind of get it. So essentially, it's actually the same Gorilla Glass 5 on the inside and outside. So for the screens as well as the back. I know they said it's slightly different on the outside because obviously it's sort of it's colored. So they had to do a little bit of a different thing. But generally speaking, if you're going to scratch one side, you're going to scratch the other. So it's kind of it's it's fine. It feels just like any other Gorilla Glass that you would have on another display or Mm -hmm. another phone. But there are some things that are very much a surprise. I know sort of speaking with you a little bit um, kind of in the intervening couple weeks, it's been really hard for me to kind of gather my thoughts on it. And it took a while to come to any kind of conclusion because fundamentally, this is a very different device, right? The fact that you have two screens, it's it makes you use it differently, right? So as opposed to something like the Z Flip, which is really just a, a solid phone that folds in half and is smaller, or something like the Z Fold, which is much more of a tablet. It's sort of one screen that you kind of spin. With this, you very much have two individual displays, right? Yeah. I almost never took the same app and stretched it across. I maybe have okay. in a, you know, my inbox on one side and I'm composing an email on the other side, but I would never take YouTube and put it in the middle and watch it with the seam in the middle, right? It's very much a dual screen device. So it works for applications where it takes advantage of two screens. Yes, which like as you say, right? Like where you may have an email inbox, or I could mm-hmm. imagine like um, you might have a like you're an RSS reader. You've got a list of articles on one side, and then the reader view on the other side. Exactly. But it's you wouldn't do something where you would be purposely taking content or any application that when you stretch it, you end up with a, just a bar down the middle. Exactly. I almost never used an app in dual screen mode, like fully stretched out, right? Like I would be, you know, scrolling through Twitter on one side while I was reading an article on the other. Are we playing a game on one side while watching a YouTube video? Whatever the case is, you really have to think about this as a dual screen device, not a single screen that's sort of been split down the middle. Once you start thinking about it like that, it does make a lot of sense. And especially when you consider... And I can actually see a little more logic to that. Mm Mm-hmm. There may be the typical folding phone like the Samsung product, right? Like the Fold or the Z Fold because it's not a tablet, right? None of these things are tablet size. Tablet sizes is one thing, but even for a lot of people that use tablets a lot of the time, they do use multiple apps at one time, like I do or mine. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's, there's kind of a logic to, you know this thing is a phone, so just use phone apps, but two of them. 
Yes, yes, that is exactly it. So there are a lot of things. I feel like we could talk about this for legitimately like a couple hours because there's Mm -hmm. so much to go over. So the hinge, I think, is something that really deserves a shout out. So the Surface Duo is crazy thin, right? We've talked about this before, kind of looking at the specs, but when you use it, you really understand. When you fold up the Surface Duo, it's about the same thickness, keep in mind, two halves, so it's it's much, much thinner than something like a, a Z Flip or a Z Fold. When you fold it up, it's about the same thickness as like an iPhone 11 Pro with like a, even a regular size case on it, right? Like the thinness is very real. And because of that, they have a really clever hinge. So essentially, it's very similar to if you've used pretty much any like two-in-one laptop in sort of execution or at least in concept. So essentially, that hinge will stop literally anywhere. So you can pick it up a half an inch. You can stretch it all the way flat. You can fold it around. It'll stay in any orientation. And it feels incredibly sturdy. Like, I can't say enough good stuff about the hinge, especially because for some of the other Surface devices, specifically when it comes to something like the Surface Book, which has that weird kind of like spiny hinge, I've never been a big fan of it because it doesn't fold flat. But with this, it folds completely flat. It opens completely flat. It is very impressive to use it in all of its different orientations. I can't say enough stuff about how much I love the some of the hardware choices they've made with it because it feels absolutely next level. I know that Microsoft have been churning out great hardware, right, for for years now at an increasing rate, right? Like their hardware quality of the Surface Division is getting better and better. But this hardware, I would not have expected from them. It's almost too good looking. And mm-hmm. everything that I've heard about it, everything that I've seen about it seems to enforce that. Of like, yeah. not only is this thing beautiful... It is impossibly thin, and the hinge is like next-level technology. Yeah, and especially when you consider that through those two tiny little hinges, they have to run, I forget the number, but it's like like dozens and dozens of tiny, tiny, tiny wires for things like power, data, all this kind of stuff that has to run through. Because essentially, it's it's really well-balanced so that each side of the phone has different things. So if you're holding it in like dual screen mode, so the right side is where you'll find like the processor, you'll find like the the camera and a lot of that stuff. And then there's a smaller battery. And then on the left side, there's a larger battery. But you would never know that without actually having seen like some schematics or something because it's perfectly balanced in your hand. Now, I will say, and this is where some of the cracks are starting to form in the Mm. the Surface Duo, not literally, but figuratively. (laughs) I ended up using this actually primarily as a single screen device. Okay, so I'd say... Probably like 60, probably eh, maybe 70% of the time, I was using it as a single screen device. The thing is, when you're using it as a single screen, it is a 4 by 3 display, right? So it's similar in aspect ratio to something like an an iPad, right? So it's it's very wide, and because there are fairly large bezels, it's also kind of tall. So the thing is, when you use it as a single screen device, it's not great. That sounds kind of harsh. But it doesn't, it's not a really comfortable form factor for me. Obviously, coming as coming from the Z Flip, which is a very skinny, very tall sort of device, this is the complete opposite. Yeah, you, you are kind of the very wrong user, right? Like, yeah. Because you are very, very used to a tall, skinny phone. And we've been speaking about this for the last couple of months, right? Like that you have kind of been turned off of larger phones in general. Yes. At the moment, yes. because there are options now which are different in form factor like the Z Flip, where this is a short, fat phone, basically. Yes. Like, it's thinner. 
Yeah. It's certainly thinner, but the footprint is, I would say, over double the size of the Z Flip. It is mm. much, much taller. It's also much wider. And I think the width was something that it, I've never actually really fully gotten on board with. I, it's very wide. I can type with it. And there are some nice things. So um, they have SwiftKey preloaded. Obviously, you can install whatever keyboard you'd like. But SwiftKey works for a couple of reasons. Because like, so say when you have it in dual screen mode, the keyboard will actually slide over to the either to the left or the right. So essentially, you'll be able to one hand type because obviously it's tough when you have it in dual screen mode. You can't really yep. two hand type on one screen or the other. So they have some things like that. But then I just don't personally like Swift key as much as the Google keyboard. But the thing is, it's just wide. It's a little bit awkward for me mm -hmm. to use in single screen to, uh, mode. So what I actually ended up doing was I actually, for the most part, have been using it opened up, right? So, you know, you have both screens exposed and putting it in my pocket that way. Because I found that while with the Z Flip, if I get a notification, I can pull it out of my pocket, flip it open pretty easily. But it's a little bit more of a process for the Surface Duo. Not something huge, right? But it takes maybe instead of, you know, three quarters of a second, it takes me two seconds because I have to pull the whole thing out of my pocket, grab it, fold it open, and then not just fold it flat, but actually fold it around so I'm back in single screen mode. Then I unlock it. Then I check, you know, oh, you know, you just slacked me or whatever the case is. So hmm. I've actually been primarily using it opened up in my pocket, which makes me a little slightly uncomfortable. But I mean, it's all Gorilla Glass. If I get the screen scratched up a little bit, it's no worse than having the back. It's, it's to me, worth the trade-off of not having to unfold. It was the difference between that and any other phone. Exactly. Except you got two screens. So, you know, I guess it slightly is worse. But look, honestly, it's Gorilla Glass. Yeah, but if they get scratched, it gets, like, just no matter how yeah. many screens you have, a scratch screen is still a, still a problem. Exactly. Actually, I will say, even though I might not be a fan of the actual dimension, um, I will just straight up say that I wish the Surface Duo was a little bit thinner and maybe a little bit less on the bezel. I know they went with 4x3. I think maybe a slightly taller aspect ratio would have been nice. But I will say that the actual screens themselves are really excellent. They're OLED. They're super bright. They're a very custom look. So obviously, this is not something that they pull right off the shelf. But they look really good. They're very, very vibrant. And importantly, unlike something like the Z Flip, which does have real compromises when you're outside on a sunny day, the viewability does suffer. You have none of that with the Surface Duo. It might not be high refresh rate like a lot of the other high-end phones at the moment. But in every other sense, it is a really excellent pair of displays. Okay. Interesting. But, okay, so I feel like I'm going to be a little all over the place, so apologies on this one, but there's so many thoughts on, on the Surface Duo. One of the things, and I will be very, very charitable here, this is their first Android phone in a long time. Obviously, there's a lot of work that goes into a completely new form factor, and I will straight up say there's a learning curve with this phone. You are not going to pull it out of the box and feel like you're 100% up and running in the first day, right? Like, there's just no way because it's such a different way of using it. <laughs> it's like Windows. It's, yeah, Microsoft you know, well, it's, used to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's look. I mean, it, there's a lot of things you have to do differently, right? Yeah. So, like for example, if you're taking an app from one screen to the other, you'll pick it up from the, the little like slidey bar. I don't know if there's a specific term for it on Android, but you know, like the little like kind of multitasking bar on the bottom. Okay. You'll pick it up, and then you can either swipe it left or right, and it will throw it to the other screen, which works really well. Or you pull it in the middle and let go, and then it will span across the apps. That works okay. pretty well. But there are things like if I'm trying to exit an app, so I'll normally on like a Z Flip or literally any other Android phone, I'll swipe up and keep going. But with this, you kind of have to swipe it up all the way like above the halfway mark on the display and then let go. Otherwise, it's going to bring you into multitasking or what happened to me a lot, I would swipe it up like, you know, two, like a third of the way up the phone, the app would bounce up and then come back down, wouldn't close, right? So stuff like that. That feels very tweakable. 
right? I'm not yes. saying that they would fix that, but that feels like a, oh, no, we messed that part up, right? Like, you know, it could be like they would mm-hmm. hear from people like yourself and then early users and be like, you know what, we can actually... Because if it's... um. If they had another action that that was interfering with, that would be mm-hmm. one thing. But it doesn't sound like that's the case. It just feels like yes. they set the closure point too high. Yes. And I'm sure they did that because they had to tweak all of that custom to be able to swipe like left and right. They don't want you to move it up and try to move it over to the screen and accidentally let go or something. And in fact, I actually have a call with Microsoft about some of the engineers about some of these issues. So hopefully that'll be something that will be easy enough to address. Um, another thing, which was a small annoyance that I'm sure will be able to be fixed, but actually irritated me a lot more than I thought. It's not very fast to unlock. So even though I have it open with both screens, so I literally just drop my finger on it like every other phone. As soon as you touch it, it starts to unlock. But unlike the Z Flip, which is like, I don't know, a quarter of a second, it's almost instant. With the Surface Duo, I'll put my finger on it and then it'll unlock. Like it's yeah. legitimately a second or more, which I get if you're unlocking, like you're unfolding the display by that time it's fired up. But if I just want to literally pull it out of my pocket and check it really quick, it is not fast at all. I'm starting to hear a trend here in what you're saying. Mm -hmm. A little bit. A little bit. In that this is the, there is a real dichotomy of this device, right? Yeah. It is incredible hardware, Mm -hmm. like hardware that is in some areas leaps and leaps and bounds above what other smartphone makers are doing, right? In certain places. But it's very clearly, the first phone from the company. Yes. I feel very confident a lot of the software stuff will be able to be worked out, but it's, it's a Gen 1 device in a way that is very noticeable in, in a lot of ways. Nothing wrong with that. Right, but is is much further ahead in some areas than a Gen 1 that like typically can be, right? Like Yes. It sounds like there are issues here, but there doesn't <laughs> seem like there's as many issues as the Fold had. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, I absolutely agree. And they've already committed to, I believe it was two or three years of software support on this device. So I'm very confident that a lot of this stuff will be able to be worked out. Um, But there are some things which I don't think will be able to be fixed. And chief among them is the camera, right? So because this device is like less than five millimeters thick, they just simply do not have the depth to install a quote-unquote standard camera, right? They could have put a camera on the back, But I don't really fault them for that because it wouldn't have been any better than the camera they already have. The camera that they have is a front-facing selfie camera. That's it. You can flip it around and use it on the backside, quote-unquote backside, where you can, like, take photos of other people and have, like, that traditional smartphone experience. The camera is a front-facing camera. It is the quality of a front-facing camera. It is okay. It is usable. I think they've made the right move here, Austin. Yes. Yeah, with the hardware, yeah. But, like, imagine that they were like, all right, we'll put a bump on this thing, right? Let's just imagine they they did that. We'll put a camera Mm -hmm. bump on it. They never would have produced images at a flagship quality. Because, again, first go around, right? Mm -hmm. Because Microsoft don't make image processing for their devices, right? Like, I can't imagine this is something that they put a lot of effort into. Well, you know, everyone does, but, like, they, they are not a smartphone maker, so they, mm-hmm. they surely do not put the efforts that Samsung, OnePlus, and Apple do into their image processing, right? Mm-hmm. And Google, of course. Yeah. For a front-facing camera, it's fine. Yeah, and like, but, you know, and it does, does what it's supposed to do. But if they would have put that camera, like a really good camera sensor on the back of this phone, made the space for it, made like a bump for it, they would have decreased the overall quality of the hardware 
for something mm-hmm. that would not have gotten them far enough because you are saying now the camera's not good enough. You probably yeah. would have still said the camera's not good enough even if they yep. would have put a dedicated shooter on it. And the camera bump would have been enormous, right? I mean, you look yep. at a lot of bumps. I mean, it, imagine the bump could have been as thick as the entire like half of the phone that you're looking at, right? Like it would have yep. been massive just to fit a quote-unquote normal sensor. It would have ruined the device for... Yeah. Something that is maybe not massively important for the target market of the product. Yes. But as someone who uses their smartphone camera very regularly, I can say without any confidence or without any lack of confidence, (laughs) I cannot... Austin (laughs) Evans, I can say without any confidence. (laughs) (laughs) With a complete certainty of confidence, I can say... The Surface Duo is not daily drivable material for me by itself. Alongside another phone with an actually usable camera, yes. But by itself, I simply cannot live with a camera that is not at least good, if not great. And I expect that you can get a good, if not great camera on 80% of smartphones these days. To me, that is a deal breaker. It's like the Z Flip's camera is good, right? Like I think we can agree Miles on that. Better. It is a good, but like Z Flip's camera compared to what else is available today is a good camera. And yep. then the Ultra, the iPhone 11, uh, the, the Pixel, like they are great mm-hmm. cameras. And the Z yes. Flip has a good camera. Yes. So, you know, so you, and you live with that. But yeah. But yeah. And the thing is though, like none of this hardware discussion, right? Like none of this seems like what we wouldn't have expected. I think the thing that is the most unexpected for me right now is that the dual screen mode isn't working out yes. for you, but I do wonder if that is a Austin thing, right? That, yes. Like, yes. So with the, with the things that you've described, right? Like I could imagine doing all the things that you've been doing around entertainment, right? Like mm-hmm. that I might be uh, having it open either as like in the kind of like the book mode or the table mode and like maybe reading some social media stuff and watching a video, Right. Or yeah. like, you know, I could what something I imagine I would do a lot is be watching YouTube videos and taking notes in Google Docs, which is something that I do yes. on my iPad quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fingers crossed that Google will add a picture in picture to uh, the iPhone app um, mm-hmm. with iOS 14, because then I would do it on my iPhone a lot, too. Like recently on the 14 beta, I've been watching a lot of Twitch streams whilst doing other stuff on my phone. And I really like that. It works great on my yeah. phone. So I hope that that I have that with YouTube. But like, so that that stuff makes sense. But I could imagine me because I work a lot from all of my devices, right? Like, and I think you are more of a I will work at a laptop or mm-hmm. like tablet laptop thing and less work yes. from your phone. But like, I do a lot of email on my phone. I do spreadsheets on my phone, Google Docs on my phone. So like, I could imagine that me personally, I would get more use out of the dual screen than than I think you have seen. Yes, I think the best way to put it for the way I use it, most of the things that the Surface Duo are good at, multitasking, getting quote-unquote real work done, are things that I would rather have an actual keyboard Mm -hmm. and mouse or trackpad for, right? Mm -hmm. So I will bang out a couple quick emails on my phone, no problem. But when it comes to, you know... You don't need two screens for that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If I want to, you know, be taking notes. So I was actually recently working on my car. I had a tutorial up on one side of how to replace something. On the other side, I had the Google Doc where I was making notes. That was helpful. But 
if I would have had an iPad, which to be very clear is actually not that much bigger. I mean, the Surface Duo, let me be very clear, is very much bordering on uncomfortable for me to carry. I mean, it does not fit in my car cup holder, for example. If I'm sitting mm. down in my car with it in my pocket, you better believe I realize I've got this huge thing in my pocket. Like, yeah, you see, this is interesting because I feel like I don't have the scale, right, in my head for the size of the device when it's closed. Like, because a lot of the conversation is focused around, like, when it's closed, how nice it is because it's flat, mm-hmm. right? Like, unlike any of the other folding phones, like, there's, like, you know, like the Z Fold still has a gap. You can still see there is a gap where it looks like this thing has no gap. But there yeah. is a, a width to the phone that I don't think I've wrapped my head around fully. So if you put the Surface Duo side by side with the Z Fold 2, the Z Fold 2 is taller, right? So it's about 10 millimeters taller, but the Surface Duo is almost 30 millimeters wider, right? It's almost a third wider than something like the Z Fold 2 when it's folded up. That is very, very noticeable. Sure, it might be almost half the thickness, but that width, I think, is really what pushes it much closer to being like, you know what? This feels almost more like a PC, which can do phone things and runs Android, versus a smartphone that just happens to have two screens. That's honestly the way I thought about it a lot. And when I start thinking about it like that, it's a little bit of a harder sell for me personally because mm. just so much of what I do, like, so I think the way that I would sort of sum it up, right? There are some issues with it. And there are certainly some good things. Actually, something we didn't mention um, the battery life is good. So I know a lot of people were complaining that like, oh, it's got a small battery with two dual screens. Battery life, I would say, is fine for one day. I would say it's very much equivalent to what I get on Z Flip. Mind you, I am using it primarily as a single screen device. But I mean, even when you're using it as dual screen, actually, the battery life is fine. And yes, the specs are a little bit low end. You don't have 5G, but honestly, no problem, right? But the thing is, if you want to buy a Surface Duo, I firmly believe you need to have a use case in mind for why you want to get this device because it is a compromised device. It is good at multitasking. It is an incredibly sexy piece of hardware. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that if you have that use case, right, if you know that you are going to be, you know, for hours a day doing something on one screen and you're doing something on the other, if you really need that much screen real estate or you want it, then those compromises will be worth it. But if you do not have a, I would say, relatively clear idea of what you would do if you had dual screens, because certainly for my use cases, I tried a bunch of different things and everything was like, oh, that's kind of neat. Oh, that's kind of cool. Eh, I'm going to flip back to single screen because it's more convenient or it's more, it's easier to hold with like one hand, for example. Right. Then I don't think that the sacrifices that you have to make by using the Surface Duo and spending that much money and having this form factor are worth it. So it's a tough one, man. It is... It is one of the very few devices that I think could be literally 98% perfect for some people out there and could be a complete deal breaker for a lot of other people. It is very rare that there is a device which is that different. What a great way to say it. Yeah, I think that's I think you've you've nailed it there. It's like this is both a perfect phone and a fundamentally flawed phone depending on yes. the way you come to it. And that is not normal. But that's the great thing about this product in general. It ain't normal. Right. And like uh, uh, Microsoft, like bravo to you. Like mm-hmm. you, you did it right. Like what you did isn't for everyone, but I don't think that they have at all tried to make that claim. Yeah. Right. Like I don't feel like they have said anything that seems to suggest that this should be the next big hit for everyone. Right. Like they've been very clear about like, this is great if you're in the Microsoft world. 
And what that means is like, really that you're a business customer. Yeah. And this still, and this feels like a absolutely fantastic device for people in that Microsoft ecosystem who are looking for a device to keep in their pocket that they can do a lot of work from. And mm-hmm. you know what? It looks fantastic and everyone's going to be jealous of you when they see it. And that second part, that last part, they didn't have to do that bit. Right? Yeah. They did not have to make something that looks this good and, and from a hardware perspective functions as well. But they did. And that makes me really excited for the future of their handheld line because the first surface, not the table, the, the, the <laughs> right because that was the part that it was a table wasn't it the original surface like it was a big i believe so yeah big little bit like the first like consumer surface mm-hmm. i think probably quite similar of like yeah there's some st- interesting stuff going on here but it's not ready for most people and i think at yeah. this point microsoft are churning out all like their surface products are great right so mm-hmm. i have a lot of hope for them and i hope that this product's gives them the success that they want. You know what this does make me even more excited for? The Neo. Ooh. Well, that'll be interesting because that will not be running Android. That will be running Windows 10X, assuming that ever really properly ships. But, uh, you know, I just, to me, I think, as I look on my time with the Surface Duo, what really jumps out to me is that I have been convinced by the dual screen form factor in a way that I absolutely was not going into it. Going into it, I expected it to be a compromise because they didn't have, they didn't trust the folding technology and the ability to get it thin with the hinge. But you know what? No, I think actually, if you are going to do something like this, sure, if you want to go with something like a Z Flip, that is a very different device. That is simply just a standard smartphone that gets smaller. But if you look at something like a folding style form factor, so Z Fold or Surface Duo, I kind of like what they're doing with the Surface Duo. If I were designing it, I might have a version which is not quite so wide and a little bit taller, just personally for my own Mm -hmm. preference. But beyond that, I actually think Microsoft are absolutely onto something. Folding phones and folding screens are nice, but I don't think you need that foldable display to have the true dual screen experience. Well, and ultimately, ultimately, what they have done by having the sec the two screens is allow it to fold around on itself yes yes you have so many more options of how you use the phone i mean you can yeah. use it in like two in one like tent mode where i was watching video where i had it like flipped upside down mm-hmm. and sort of standing by itself there's a lot of things you can do although actually one small note on that uh because they're four by three displays watching 69 video not the greatest experience a little uh, on the smaller mm-hmm. side mm-hmm. so i will say for video it's not amazing but I mean, it works with something like the Surface Pen. So if you're wanting to like sketch on one screen and like look at like reference on the other, whatever, there are definitely uses for it. It's just, it's, it's just not for me, Mike. I think that's the main thing. But I totally recognize that it is for a lot of people out there who really want something which is next level. And it honestly is way more impressive than I thought it would be in a lot of ways. It's just too big. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. While you've been listening to this show, how would you know if your website had gone down? Would you know if your customers couldn't click that buy now button or access your latest post? You might stumble across it by luck. You might get an email. You might get a tweet. That's no good, though. You want a reliable system. You need something to tell you when everything is running smoothly on your website and more importantly, when it isn't. And that's why you need Pingdom. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages across the web every month. They help keep the sites that you love online and can do the 
the same for you too. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company, you need alerts about any critical website issues and they're going to happen. It doesn't matter how big or small your company is. You're going to have issues and you need those alerts to know when something goes wrong. Pingdom allows you to customize those alerts depending on the severity of an outage and they'll also track and analyze your website's load time so you can see what is affecting the experience that your users are having. If you have a site of any size, you need Pingdom. They have a no-fuss approach to get started. All they need is the URL that you want to monitor, and they'll take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code TESTDRIVERS at checkout, and you'll get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Well, thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. So let's talk about the other flippy boy <laughs> of the moment, which is Z Fold 2. Uh, as of recording, we just basically have more details. So um, yes. Samsung had their second event where they gave off more information about it. And also they've started sending out units for first looks. So we've been able to see some of those. I think the first thing we need to talk about is the price I'm surprised about the price, Austin. It's $2,000. I didn't think they were going to go that high again. I didn't. I actually am not that disappointed. I think, I mean, obviously $2,000 is an enormous amount of money for a phone. But when you look at what they were able to do with, you know, what, a year or whatever the difference between the first and the second one is, I don't think you can say it's wildly overpriced. I think, unlike something like the Surface Duo... I'm not saying it's overpriced. I was just thinking... 1800 was my kind of thinking on it. I just think when we saw Z Flip 5G go up in price, not down in price, I kind of steal myself for this being at least the same, if not more expensive. So maybe next year we'll start seeing some prices come down. But I think because Samsung has a complete and total lock on this side of the market, I mean, no one's really competing with them besides Huawei. And I mean, they're not really able to do that much at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I think they can kind of charge what they want for these right now. True, true, true. They are the, you're right. They're the only game in town, so they get to set the prices. I I just think it's the first one being at two thousand dollars was kind of like all right. This is the first one. Yeah, and they'll surely be able to make economies. And I know that what Samsung have done at the same time is like screw it. Everything's more expensive. But <laughs> I, I was expecting it to be in between the ultra and the the fold right in price but because as well i think i do find this frustrating that they've removed a lot of the extras that came with the original so you got a case and a pair of galaxy buds in the box last time you don't get none of that this time and that Mm. don't like that austin i i I think it's i do think that you should get a little extra for paying the money that you're paying more than what is look i know it's an incredible device i know that but like come on a pair of galaxy buds (laughs) like surely the fold was more expensive to make than the fold 2 just because it was the first one yeah yeah never nevertheless like look if you're buying this phone it being two grand or 1800 is not making a difference yes so there are some things about the device. So, first of all, I think it's kind of weird the way Samsung has kind of stretched this out because they sort of had like that initial sort of announcement after mm-hmm. all the leaks. Then they had sort of the more official announcement, but it's still not going on sale until I believe the was it the 18th or something? Yeah. 
So there are some things that jump out. So the idea that it, it just like the Z Flip 2, sorry, Z Flip 5G, I'm going to get completely lost in Samsung Alphabet Soup here. It does have a screen protector already applied, which I like. I definitely think that any kind of protection on a flippy, foldy boy is a good idea. But there's something about you can't actually remove it yourself or you're not supposed to. They are saying they put a screen protector on it, a plastic screen protector on top of the glass screen, which I don't know why they've done that. Um, that seems very peculiar to me because of mm-hmm. all the issues they had last time, right? Mm-hmm. All the phones breaking. And <laughs> don't forget that. <laughs> they're saying the screen protector is removable, but if you want to remove it, you need to get Samsung to remove it for you. That is their mm. recommendation. Do you go to mm-hmm. a Samsung store and have them take it off? Mm. Now, all of that is stupid to me. <laughs> like, because. Tell me how you're you really asking feel. for trouble again, Samsung. Why are you doing this? I can't right? wait to see the this Jerry rig everything on the Z Fold Two. Uh, I cannot wait. Uh, look, it's it's a race, right? For which reviewer is going to peel the screen off first? But it's like <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen images that seem to suggest that it's like really noticeable. But clearly, mm-hmm. it's possible to get to peel it off yourself, right? And I don't know why they've done that because the Z Flip does not have that, right? Like there is, I know there's a covering on top of the the thin glass, Mm -hmm. but you can't see that there is one. Not really. And honestly, if I wanted to remove, I mean, to be fair, I've never heard of anything of them saying that I'm not supposed to take it off. But I mean, I know that I could peel this off just as easy as any other screen protector if it causes damage, I guess I would find out after the fact. But I mean, it looks like a very, very easy screen protector to take off. Whereas something like the Z Fold, I, I don't know. I mean, we could be making a lot out of nothing. But I do think it's interesting, especially after all the issues they had with the first one, that it seems like they're playing with fire again. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, and I don't know why they're doing it. Like, it seems silly. Like, because someone's going to pull it off, and if it breaks it, well, like, round two, right? Yep. Like... I I just I don't I can't get my head around why they've why they've done this. It, it seems yep. it seems silly to me. And then also to do the whole thing where they're saying like, oh, just bring it to us. like that's worse in a way. I think. <laughs> um, I I, <laughs> I can't really get, I can't really get my head around that one. Austin, I'm not gonna lie. It seems a bit it seems a bit strange to me. And and I will look forward eagerly to finding out the result of somebody trying to pull it off and see what happens. I'm very excited. Very excited. Obviously, I think the I think the biggest improvement here from what I've been seeing is the cover screen, so the screen on the outside. Yeah. Um because it's still it's still narrower than your average phone screen, but it looks at a level now where it wouldn't feel like a chore to use it. I I really think it so again, coming right off of the Surface Duo, I really at least appreciate the fact that I could have that phone completely open. So when I pull it out of my pocket, I can have one of the screens available. And with something like the Fold, obviously you're never going to be able to fold that screen all the way backward. So having a high-quality cover display I think is really important. I agree that screen resolution is probably going to be really wonky in some things, but I think it's way, way, way better than having a tiny unusable screen or even something like the the Z Flip, which is next to useless. I think it is nice that they put so much effort into making that a real display because when you look at the the sort of the physical dimensions of this phone, 
You think about on the, the right side, so the side that has the cameras built in, that obviously means that you have to add that extra thickness, right? When you're designing the phone, you're gonna have battery and processor and everything, but you also have to consider that you have pretty thick phones that need to fit. And because you have that to sort of play with, you wanna make sure that both sides are even, you sort of by definition have a little bit of extra thickness to play with on the left side or the, the front display where you can put that. So it makes sense to me that they were able to fit a full-size display there. I'm sure it's not easy, but I'm sure that when you're sort of balancing battery life and the actual thickness of the device and what you're able to do with your hinge and your display and everything, that the ability to do that full screen screen up front is going to make a huge difference in making it a much more well-rounded device. But it's a chunky boy, though. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what is it? Almost double the thickness of the of the Duo. Let's see here. It is ooh, 16.8 millimeters thick. Mm. That's... Um, Thick with uh, with three Cs, I think. I that's, think so. That's technically, but they are packing in a lot of good tech, though, right? Um, yes. This, the inside screen looks way better. There's they don't have that like uh, eyebrow. Like I don't even know what you'd call it, <laughs> but huge. Where they have like multiple cameras in like a massive no notch reason. in the corner. Yeah, and they've they don't have any cutout of any kind on the display. They just have a hole punched uh, camera on. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in the center of one of the halves. In a portrait, yeah. in portrait, which is it, it's fine, uh, but it's a 120 hertz display. Ooh, yeah, baby, which is fantastic. It look this looks way more like a small tablet than the last one did because it has a more typical form factor with the thin bezels and it being just a a perfectly rectangular shape. Um, and of course, this phone has benefited from the Z Flip. It has the Z Flip glass, the thin glass on the inside, so. That looks great. And also uh, the hinge in this one, as well as it having, I'm sure, a million things that Samsung will tell you about why it's not going to get debris in it. <laughs> but it definitely will because like, we have to think about this logically. But the hinge now allows for more uh, variation of where the phone will open because really the fold, it had like two and a half opening points, right? You could have it closed, you could have it opened, you could kind of have it in the middle. But now yeah. it's more, much more of not exactly like the Duo, but closer. It has more uh, uh, points in which the phone will hold rigidity when like opened. Like the Z Flip. Like the Z Flip. Yeah. And they've, yeah. they've built more flex modes into applications. Which is great. I really appreciate that. Especially on Z Flip, you know, like I will watch YouTube all the time with the phone kind of half open when it sort of like slides the rest of the UI down. So you just have the, on the top half of the display, you'll have the video. I use that all the time. So the yeah. idea that you have more and more of those apps that are being supported, not only for the Z Flip, but also for the Fold. And of course, every other folding phone that comes out over the next few years, yep. that can only be a good fit, a thing for everybody. I was surprised Samsung are bringing uh, the software features for the Fold to a lot of them to the original Fold. That was a surprise for me. It's good. I mean, look, you've got to keep in mind that, uh, I mean, you bought that Fold, what, a year ago for $2,000? Like, I, I, I'm i sure that you would Let's appreciate having that. some updates. <laughs> not, we don't need to talk about that so much. It's okay. You had to start your flippy boy off journey with a bang. Yeah, yeah, sure did. Uh, look, here's the thing. This is kind of interesting to me to, ha to be talking about the Z Fold 2 after talking about the Duo for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. logic should tell me that like the phone that i should be the most interested in is the one that is the most fully featured 
the better looking kind of from a design perspective, right? Mm-hmm. It could be argued, but like you could you can see some points. It has more features. It's, it's it's better made. It's much closer to being a daily driver. But like, I just don't feel myself that interested in it. Mm-hmm. Like, not like I was the original. Not like I was the Z Flip. Not like I was even the Razor, and especially the Duo. I think it's. I think it's the, the the physical dimensions of the fold, yeah, that are turning me off it. Because after having been somebody who used the first fold extensively, this is the main reason where I know I could not use this phone daily. Yeah, that and they've made lots of improvements, but from a hardware perspective, it feels like it's lacking in something. And now that I've seen the Surface Duo. Even with its issues, I could imagine being happier on a daily basis of using that device than the Z Fold 2. Because that thickness and the weight of that phone, it's too much for me. And like the Z Flip doesn't have these issues. I mean, yes, it doesn't have as much functionality, but the Z Flip is still, I think, remains the most daily driver of all foldable phones. Yes, yeah. And I don't think it's just because of its form factor. I think it's that the form factor that it has lends itself to being the most easy to stomach because you don't have to make too many trade-offs. Yeah, yeah. I really just feel like this has been such an incredible year of foldable devices, right? We've seen so many different form factors. We've seen so many different takes on this. I'm really excited because it's like, I think we're, I know I've talked about this before and I'm going to keep saying it. Like, we're going to look back on this year as being maybe not the greatest year for a lot of things, but for such an incredible amount of innovation because so many of these different form factors are, are coming out. And I really do believe that, yeah, after using pretty much everything that's come out so far, that the Z Flip really is what's best for me personally. I just can't stand these phones. Like, I don't need a phone that turns into a tablet, right? Unless you can give me something which is somehow thin enough and small enough and not wide enough to be able to be very easily pocketable. That can be something like, you know, iPhone sized or even like kind of like one plus eight sized. Unless you can give me something like that, I'm not interested in that trade-off because for me personally, I find myself so much more drawn to being able to use a small tablet like a Surface Go or an iPad or even a small laptop to do a lot of the things that I would do on one of these sort of folding phone kind of weird hybrids that are trying to be your phone, but also trying to be your PC and your tablet and all in one. And to me, those compromises aren't quite worth it. I value in a phone the ability for it, first and foremost, to be a good phone, good camera, all that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. but also for it to fit in my pocket. If it does not fit in my pocket, I am pretty much out, right? Like I just, I'm not going to be down with something which is huge. And I know that I'm in the, probably in the minority here, right? I know a lot of people like bigger and bigger phones. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't care so much and would rather have these features. But for me personally, I've found that really the more of more of these things I try, the more and more set I am in my ways, that Z Flip gang for life, my friends.